Hey, what's up, coaches? Welcome back to the Coach Podcast. So glad you're with us for a bonus episode. Again, I'm without my co-host, Eric Voris. So again, brother, I'm doing my best without you. Uh, But I am here with Gary Ingram from the Love and Truth Network. And uh, hopefully you got to listen uh, to the last episode and and hear some of Gary's testimony. If you haven't listened to that episode, I'm telling you right now, pause this, go back, listen to that entire episode uh, because it really lays the foundation for kind of the the context of what we're going to be talking about today. And uh, Gary works with the Love and Truth Network. And and one thing we didn't talk about last week, Gary, was just the fact that CCV is your church home. Yes, that's right. Which is awesome. Yeah. And uh, very happy about that. Yeah. We're so grateful uh, to have you in our ministry and just doing such a powerful ministry that's really equipping church leaders you know, around the nation to help those who are struggling with relational and sexual brokenness. And uh, today I I really want to zoom into the topic of pornography addiction. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's one of the things I hear uh, most commonly, especially speaking with our male coaches. And and we all know that this is a rising issue amongst our females. Yes, um, that's right. As well. So I want to make sure that we we don't uh, we don't leave out uh, all the ladies. Uh, this this is completely relevant for both mm-hmm. male and female. Um, but before we dive into this, I know this is a heavy subject matter. So three quick fun questions all for right. you. Um, Halloween is around the corner. Uh-huh. Um, maybe when you're listening to this podcast, Halloween. Is has already happened. Uh, but what is your go-to Halloween candy? Well, my wife is going to think this question is hysterical because I'm actually the sugar Nazi in our family. So, but <laughs> however, I would say M&Ms would be the top of my list. Oh man. Yeah. And peanut, peanut butter. Nope. Just the regular. I like peanut butter, but no, just the regular. Ah, just the regular M&Ms. Yep. Awesome. Love it. Do you, when you open the packages or eat them, do you sort them by color? I don't. No, my son would for sure. One of my sons would, yes. (laughs) That's awesome. That's awesome. Okay, next question. What's your go-to out-to-eat place? Where where are you going to go out to eat? Lots of options, but I think one of my favorites, and it's just really simple, but it's um, Fired Pie. Love (sighs) their salads. Their pizzas are pretty good, but I love their salads. Oh, that is loaded up. Yes. Yeah. It's it's kind of like the Chipotle style pizza mm-hmm, and exactly. salad place. Oh, love it. Fired pie is one of my go-tos. So we should go get fired pie. Absolutely. Um, that would be awesome. Okay. Last um favorite all-time author books. I am a huge uh J.R.R. Tolkien fan. Love yes. The Hobbit, love The Lord of the Rings. Um read the books. I watched the, I, I never watch a movie a second time. I'm just um, too frugal. I watched the first uh, Lord of the Rings movie. I think I went to the theater 14 times to watch it. I was just blown <laughs> away at what a great job they did in replicating. I mean, they left stuff out, but in replicating so much of uh, Gandalf looked like Gandalf, you know, in my head. I mean, it's just amazing. Yeah. This is like music to my soul because uh, Lord of the Rings is my one of my favorite books mm. and one of my favorite movies of all time. And if Eric Voris were here for the podcast, he would be making all kinds of jokes <laughs> uh, right now. So sorry, Eric, um, uh, that you've been deprived of that opportunity to belittle me. Uh, <laughs> I love it, Gary. Thanks for uh, thanks for again choosing choosing to spend some time with us on the podcast. So today. happy to do it. This is just, um, this is probably, uh, it's probably just a topic that we're all just like, gosh, um, I, you know, I know I signed up to be a youth coach. Uh, This is, this is one of the hard parts of the Mm -hmm. job. 
Um, but it is also one of the most purposeful parts of the job. So um, can we just open up with a question? Um, what does what does porn addiction or, or a struggle with pornography uh, look like for teenagers in 2020? Well, it sure is different from when I was a kid, you know, and <laughs> when you actually had to walk into a place and, uh, you know, and break out in, and sweat and, you know, red-faced asking for something behind the counter. Uh, now it's um, it's just a couple of clicks away. And and it's also not just simply, you know, photographs or images, uh, which are also uh, damaging for sure. But now there's all kinds of stuff available on the internet. And uh, I've seen some statistics that show that, uh, I mean, well over half of pastors, I think it's in the 70 percentile range, would say that pornography is the number one issue they're facing in their church, one of the, mm-hmm. one of the most... Uh, damaging negative issues they're facing in their church. And out of that, in that same survey, um, only 7% of pastors said that they had anything in their church to help people struggling in this area. Mm -hmm. So it's a massive issue. It looks entirely different. I mean, especially for young people now, um, it's moved from not only uh, seeing a, a ton of content online, which of course is is out there and available, but now you know sexting is a is a huge thing for um for, for people who are younger, especially uh you know maybe maybe twenties and thirties in some ways, but certainly for for young people, teenagers, uh, and even younger, uh, there's just stuff getting uh, snapped and and put out there all over the internet, um and and that's a, a again a huge issue. There's I think when you and I were talking uh, a week or so ago, Jared, I'd mentioned that um. Uh, one of, um, there's um, 15 states uh, around the country that Utah led the way um, where they declared uh, pornography a public health crisis, but there's 14 other states, I think to date right now, uh, where at least one branch of government has has said the same thing. And um, Time Magazine back in 2016, I think it was their April issue, uh, they were addressing this, um, certainly not from any kind of biblical perspective, simply a, a, a medical, more scientific perspective of young men who were unable to even um, sexually perform with 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 girls or women, which is certainly not what we want right now. We want guys to get married, to make that commitment, that kind of thing, and for sex to be within that container that God designed for it to be experienced and expressed in, where it's beautiful and life giving. Everything else outside of that is is destructive. And and one of the things that Time Magazine was pointing out is that these guys here they've been so pornified from such an early age that the only way they can even get an erection is when they're looking at pornography. And, mm-hmm. and it's just, it's been devastating. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I was talking with uh, one of our student pastors recently and just talking about how the, the dynamic that their students are struggling with pornography is, is even so different as it's, it's become so much more personal. Like I, it's not so much like the video that I go and watch on the site anymore. It's the, it's the Instagram account or the Twitter account that I follow this person. Yes. Yes. Very specifically, um, or it's this student at my school yep. who I can go and find content about this person that I see every day. Mm-hmm. And then I can look at him or her in inappropriate ways. And, it, and it's all right in front of me with my phone. Yeah. And one of the things that's really important about that to bring out, and I know, you know, it's difficult to say hardly any of these things in, in delicate ways that, uh, you know, that, that 
um, it, it's hard to use language um, that's not fairly descriptive. But one of the realities is with orgasm um, that uh, there are bonding chemicals that are released, certainly for girls especially, but for men as well. And and when you are, just in the what you described, uh, Jared, when you have someone that you're following or, or a group of people that you're following where the pornography has become very personal and um, and, and there, there's a sense of real connection with that person. Mm-hmm. And and so there's, whenever orgasm happens, there's a, there's a bond around what you're, um, what you're fantasizing about, what you're seeing. And, and so more and more you're bonding to this individual who doesn't even know you more than likely, um, you know, may know a name or whatever, but they yeah. don't know you. Right. And, and, and you're bonding to them in a very, very powerful way at a soul level. And, uh, and, and it's one of the reasons that, you know, parents can become completely confounded or leaders that have had good relationships with young people can become really confounded in how they will just turn and almost seem to kind of stab you in the back or just become vicious toward you. Um, if any of this, um, if, if any of their, uh, uh, their 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 felt connection with these with pornography or these individuals becomes challenged because their whole lives have become oriented around this individual or these individuals and uh, and a lot of that is done again not just through viewing images but because of you know orgasm and that and the the relational idolatry that goes on there as well so it's really complex yeah yeah absolutely but it makes sense like that's one of the things i heard you say is is pornography is becoming more personal mm-hmm. and that just seems so more dangerous so much more dangerous because it's it's right and it's not only something that i can look at readily but it's a person that i can see well regularly. and i think it's important to make a distinction you're right um it has become a lot more personal but it's become pseudo personal mm. so it, so it's it's it feels deeply personal it's no longer just this multitude of, of, you know, centerfolds or these different images that I'm seeing. And I have no real, I might remember seeing them in some other video or some other, you know, uh, thing before magazine or whatever. I might, but there's no, there's no real personal connection there. But, but in these other instances, there's no personal connection either, but it feels like it. And, uh, and that becomes really, really confusing to young people, especially when for so many young people, they have an absolute void. Even young people in the church, have a real void uh, because of the busyness, oftentimes of of moms and dads, and um, and that's not always the case. But some, um, what's also true is not only uh, what is um, uh, not only what is concretely true about my family and and the dynamic that I live in, but what is in addition true is that. The, what I perceive to be true, for me, it's concrete. For me, it is true. So a mom or dad may be just knocking themselves out to love their daughter or to love their son, to love their kids really well. And of course, I think most Christian uh, parents are desiring to do that. And they be, may be really working hard to do that. And yet somehow um, there's there's a bypass. Somehow with that that child, they're not perceiving it. They're, they're still perceiving not being loved or they're feeling this huge well, this void on the inside of them that's getting filled up in this other place. And the the threat or the thought of that going away somehow is terrifying to a young person. Mm. And so it's one of the reasons that, again, we talked in the last episode about, about not just focusing on behavior, but really getting into the heart of, of, of a young person. And oftentimes we, as, as young people, we don't, we know, we feel deeply, and as, as people, we feel deeply 
but we don't always, always have language and we don't have a roadmap or an understanding of what all that's connected to or what even the, the feelings are exactly. And so I think when, uh, when leaders become more comfortable in these areas, talking about sex, talking about relationships, talking about identity, we can really invite people out. Um, there's a lot of pain. Young people want to be able to express that pain, but they don't know how, and they certainly don't, don't trust to do that. But if we can establish trust, and if we can be a, a sounding board for them and, and kind of siphon off some of that stuff and really get to understand where they're at, I think we can do a, a huge um, service and ministry to the, to the young people that we're um, connecting with. That's so, so important. Um, I want to make sure that I, I really address, I want to speak to the struggle for females. Um, but before, before I get to that, I, I just want to ask you just a question. It's just how have, how have we screwed this up as a church? Like, how, how have we approached this behavior in a poor way that has not not done any service to the mm-hmm. kingdom and helping students ultimately, you know, find healing, find hope in Jesus? When you asked that question, the image that flashed in my head is when I was first learning how to drive, and uh, my we were my parents had a van that had no nose on it whatsoever. And so I'm, I'm looking practically straight down at the road from high up and, and I'm overcompensating. I, would, I was recognizing I was going too far to the left. So I jerked the wheel to the right. It was, I mean, I looked like a drunk just going down the road, you know, <laughs> in my, and my dad was going crazy. And, but I think sometimes as a church, we res- that's how we kind of function, especially when it comes to sexual issues. Uh, it, it's such a difficult um, uh, thing to, to deal with anyway. Uh, we don't want to do, say the wrong thing. And so sometimes we just say nothing or we totally overcompensate. And, and I, so I think there's been a lot of that going on. And uh, I kind of mentioned in the last episode where, you know, the church has historically really thumped on a lot of truth and, and then just sort of left it assuming that, well, no one in our church is dealing with any sexual issues, which is a, a totally ridiculous. I don't care how far back you go. Uh, there are people that have been dealing with sexual issues and, and relational brokenness. But we, so just kind of putting truth out there and thinking that that was going to suffice. Um, and so many young pastors and leaders don't want to be anything like that anymore. They want to be far more compassionate. And so the pendulum though is, has swung so far in the other direction that now we're kind of affirming anything and everything. Uh, and, and there was a passage that I came across that I often uh, reference. It's in, um, it's Titus 2, uh, verse 11 and uh, 12. And it's talking about grace. And and what it says here, because I feel like grace has been so, um, one side of the coin has been stared at and communicated about for so long, we've forgotten the other side. For the grace of God has appeared, uh, says uh, Paul to Titus, bringing salvation to all men. Well, we love that, right? Yep. And, um, and, and that's kind of what we think of grace, bringing salvation to all men. Wonderful, put a period there, let's move on. But Paul goes on and says, uh, instructing us. What's instructing us? Grace. Grace is instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in this present age. Mm-hmm. And so I think that, um, yeah. uh, that grace has become so gutted of its empowerment and of its instruction. And and I think we need to get back there. Again, that's that's that tension of love and truth. That's that tension of, of truth and grace, uh, getting back there and um, and really digging in with where people are at and and choosing to walk with them, it's messy. Um, it's uh, it's it's never the same thing from one day to another or one person to another. Yep. Uh, but it's it's what we have to do in ministry. Yeah, that's so so important. Um, we can absolutely get better at that. Uh, can I just 
just zoom in really quick mm-hmm. on, on, on just our, our female coaches and our female students yeah. for a second. Like for all of our female coaches out there right now, uh, what encouragement would you give them? And how do I broach this topic with my students? And then if a student were to share that I'm struggling in this area, how, how might I react mm-hmm. in that situation? Yeah, one of the things that drives my wife crazy is when um, is when we we visit a church um, and and there's we love the fact that there's a men's ministry and they're dealing with a pornography issue, but there is almost never a women's ministry dealing with sexual brokenness. It's always something emotional, and and while that's great, and the guys don't have anything, you know, when it comes to emotion, right? We need a little <laughs> bit of both, and and so uh, the truth is, it is deeply shameful, guys hate talking about pornography addiction, about sexual stuff. We hate it. How much more does a woman feel shame mm. when this is supposed to be a dude's issue and she's stuck? So uh, so when a, a young girl comes and is talking with a leader, uh, you know, I think the reality, first of all, I think we have to prepare ourselves. And we've done this as parents, my wife and I with our boys, that when a question's asked, like they're just asking a question, but it's it's this really awkward thing, uh, you know, about a body part or about this thing or about babies. And, and they'll just ask it out of the blue, you know, and you've got 10 people sitting around the table or what have you. And I mean, we really want our reaction is to be, that is such an awesome question. I, and we're going to, I, I'm looking forward to talking with you about that, but you know, now I have 12 people sitting around the table, probably isn't the time to do it. But, uh, but we, but so we want to prepare as leaders for the question or for the revelation that my dad's sexually abusing me or my Mm -hmm. mom or, or my whatever, you know, that this is going on. And, um, and, and rather than we don't want to gasp, we, we don't want to, uh, kind of pull away or run away. We want to be able to really stay present Mm -hmm. to them when they're, when they're sharing. And, um, and also what I'd say that's really important is, um, listen really well, say less, listen well. Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember a ministry friend saying, you know what, we have two of these referring to our ears. And we have one of these and we do well to put those in perspective. So when they're, <laughs> when they are sharing, um, only, only talk honestly, um, in such a way as to affirm your love for them, to, uh, bless them, to tell them, you know what, that is so, I can't imagine how hard that was for you to say what you just said. I am so proud of you. That took such courage. And you know what? I'm here for you. I love you. I care about you. And, uh, I want to walk with you through this. I don't want you to be in this place by yourself. And, and this is going to be a journey. It's not going to be over in a day or two. And, you know, I think, though, and, but, and then just get quiet and listen, let them cry, let them, sometimes as Christians, we are so uncomfortable with other people's pain. Actually, almost always as Christians, we're yep. uncomfortable with other people's pain. Yep. It, we really need to learn how to just be present. Don't say stupid things. Don't start quoting a bunch of verses. Um, don't, just be present, offer the gift of your presence and, and the gift of a closed mouth, unless again, you're, you're just saying something to help them know that they can be comfortable with you, that what they're sharing with you is between the two of you, um, you know, whatever. And of course, when you're dealing with young people, there are times, certainly if abuse is going on and those kinds of things, you can't just keep it between the two of you. Right. That does have to be escalated yep. uh, for sure, you know, and, um, and there are other things too. But I think we can always, whether um, no matter who we're dealing with, we can always, as a leader or a helper, be encouraging and guiding them. Look, I'll go with you to talk to this person or that person. I'm not going to send you by yourself. You don't have to do that by yourself. I'll go with you. Um, and so, so we're we're giving them the dignity of of, of making a choice, letting us go with them, um, and and we're also not just. Um, 
uh, neglecting the care that they actually need. Like this, in certain situations, abuse and otherwise, there are things that have to be escalated. Yep, yep. Again, coaches, now's the time to push pause and rewind and listen to that section again. So much wisdom in there. Uh, Gary, is there anything, and I I might be uh, shooting a blank here, but um, anything that you would adjust in the approach of dealing with male students, a male who's struggling in this area? Yeah, so what I would say, first and foremost, uh, assume that male students are struggling. And when I say struggling, failing. You know, we oftentimes use pull out the word feeling, say struggling. I'm not actually struggling. I'm just kind of giving into this often. Uh, so most, uh, it would be unusual that male students aren't. So uh, have that in mind. And then, um, and then secondly, uh, I really give it the serious um, concern it needs to have. You know, it's not just a boys will do what they will do kind of thing. It really is um, uh, give give them opportunity. Um, give them, the other thing I would say is give them space to emote. You know, for guys especially, I mean, for girls sometimes too, but for guys especially, it, it the the emotions start to come to the surface and and some some idiot cracks a joke, you know, because he's uncomfortable with not idiot, but I mean he's uncomfortable with what is happening. Sometimes as a leader, sometimes as a, a peer, and and those moments are like all that stuff can go right down under the surface again. It can just it it'll just get bottled up and shoved down when actually that moment was pay dirt. Like that moment where the emotions coming up and where he finally feels safe uh, to to um, to let it out. Uh, you want to just give pause for that to happen. It's kind of like, hold your breath and just pray and, and, and let him know that he's safe and it's okay to cry. It's okay to, to be angry. It's okay. Uh, and, and let that stuff come up and out. Really try to, to mind for not, don't, don't, um, obviously manipulate or only move toward emotion. That, that certainly would not be good, but don't be afraid of it when it starts coming. And it, for most of us, we need, we have a lot of pain in there that we need to get up and out. Yep. Absolutely. That's really good. That's super, super helpful. Um, let's talk about some more next steps. Okay, so um, if I've heard you right, a student is shared. I've avoid, I've avoid the presentation of being shocked yep. or running away. I'm going to lean in. I'm going to listen more. Mm-hmm. I'm going to talk less. Mm-hmm. I'm going to affirm and encourage them that you're so proud of their courage. Mm-hmm. I'm going to adopt the mindset that this is a journey. It's not a, this is not a one conversation and it's done situation. Man, you were listening really well, Jared. (laughs) You're right. Spot on. So those make sense. Can we talk about like the second, third, and fourth, and fifth conversation Mm -hmm. that coaches are having with Mm -hmm. these students? What do those look like? Yeah, I'm so glad you asked that actually. So first and foremost is there needs to be a second, a third, a fourth, and fifth conversation. You know, that that may sound silly, but I can't tell you how many times I've talked to people who finally worked up the nerve to talk to somebody, a pastor or a a, a peer who is older in the Lord than them, you know, maybe a mentor. And, uh, and because the mentor felt uncomfortable about all this, they listened to them and and did a pretty good job with that. They didn't shame them or any of that, but then they never brought it up again. And so the people that have come and talked to me are feeling like, and this happened to me as well, but we're feeling like, um, did you think that that, you know, 
years and years of masturbating and struggling and failing and and you know whatever that somehow that was just going to go away and and I just needed to say it once so uh it in that that can be all that can be kind of shaming in and of itself as well uh by, by the person not being willing to bring it up again so yeah you have to do that with wisdom but I think as a as a leader just to go um, and 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 check in, and by, you know maybe by way of text the next day after they shared with you, um, or making a phone call and just saying, hey, I I know sometimes the hours after uh, sharing something that deep, we can start to feel like, oh shoot, I wish I hadn't said anything, and yeah. and maybe it's going to get. But I would just want you to know, again, really proud of you. Just reinforce some of those things and let them know that you're okay talking about it again, and and uh, you don't have to get into a big thing. You don't have to. You shouldn't. Um, make them want to, or try to lead them into the conversation, but at least give them something that they know. Oh, he's he or she is kind of hitting the ball back again, and now the ball's in my court to to come back. And if you don't hear anything from them in a couple of weeks, then you should follow up. It's not a matter of just waiting. Um, so, so that would be a huge thing in terms of those other conversations. And also, um, it's really important to. Uh, to make sure that I, as their leader, um, I, as their pastor or as their small group leader, that I'm not the, um, over time, I'm not the only person that knows about this. Like I, they, we all need, I often say every man needs a band of brothers. Every woman needs a band of sisters. And frankly, most of us don't have that. Mm. Uh, and when I say band of brothers, I'm saying someone who knows everything about you, yep. uh, everything, and you know everything about them. And there's nothing that we're keeping in the darkness. There's nothing that we're keeping it, you know, in the in the closet, essentially. Uh, but we know each other well. And so as a leader, I'm always looking for people, safe people, yep. that I can connect that person to. Um, and and not just not just one other person, but ideally a triad or, or you know maybe a group of four. Uh, I'd be looking. I'd be asking questions also fairly early on, like how does this impact your relationship with God? Like how do you feel about God? And I personally would be able to say, you know what, there were a couple of years where I hated God. Mm. Like I didn't know. I, I began to. I thought that God was somebody other than who He actually is. And I I have I've come to love God very much. And I realized He had never left me for forsaken me, but for several years, I hated him. And, and, and a lot of it was over my own confusion about sexual things. So I'm giving them permission. Um, they may not hate God, but I'm giving them permission at least to feel whatever it is they're feeling and communicate that to me. So that's, that's um, super important. But I'd also want to know then, um, because ultimately life is not about just not doing naughty things. I mean, you know, I grew up in church thinking that was the pinnacle, you know, kind of, of if I could just stop doing this, if I could just stop doing that, if I could just get rid of same-sex attraction, if I could, you know, whatever that is, then every that's the pinnacle of my existence. Well, what a miserable existence, frankly. There's no yeah. vision in that. And so that's one of the things also as leaders and coaches we need to do is cast vision, have a bigger vision for them and um, and find out where they're at in terms of kind of their toxic perspective about God, about Christianity and their failings and, and the way that they're just disappointing God and letting him down and begin addressing those as well. Because it's, it's this loop, you know, we, um, the cycle of addiction uh, is there's, there's sort of different spots along the way of the cycle of addiction, but it's, it's not uncommon that our um, feelings of God um, looking down on us, uh, being disgusted with us or others as well, uh, having no place to really go, all this um, internal toxicity needs to come out and really um, be cleansed 
in the in the hearing and the communication back of a good listener and a good leader so that what's going back into that person's life that's been so full of toxin is truth and life and love and blessing and and um and a bigger vision so I, those are um i know that what i'm saying uh i know that that sounds grandiose but you know what as a leader what a thing to aspire to. Yeah. To have that kind of voice and that kind of influence to lift people up and out, not just, oh, you know, so you're not looking at pornography anymore. That's great. You know, no. What are you doing in the kingdom? You know, what how does God want to use you in the kingdom? How does how does your life have deep meaning and purpose um for eternal things? And uh, you know, a 16-year-old is just like, I just want to you know, get my car and do it. But but we can start to put those seeds in and water those seeds so that as they grow, um, that 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 what becomes important to them isn't about just stopping bad behavior, but we stop bad behavior when we turn away from it and move towards something else. And I and we as leaders have a huge opportunity to cast that vision in in our kids' lives and in young people's lives. Gosh, that's so important. Um, let me repeat two things that you said that I thought were so important. Uh, one of the questions that we should be asking when we follow up with our students who are struggling, how does this affect your relationship with God? Mm-hmm. And just shut up and listen. Yep. And, and then- Or there your w- perspective of God. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Your, perspe- your perspective of God. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, different students are going to be at different places of faith. Yes. But, but ultimately then you can start to speak- truth, I'm guessing, slowly mm-hmm. in these opportunities. Um, there's a good opportunity to bring truth into the picture. Uh, the other thing I heard you say, uh, which you should tweet this, and or somebody should, life is not just about not doing naughty oh, things. Right. Wow. Um, and again, historically as a church, I think we, <laughs> we've gotten such a bad rap for this, mm-hmm. being about what we're not for. Right. Or what we're against. And so I love that last main point that you made is, you know, when we we have this void in a student's life and then all of a sudden it bubbles to the surface that it was a porn addiction Mm -hmm. or is a porn struggle. And we take that sin and now we start to deal with it. What we have in that student's life is we have a void. And if we just expect that that void is just going to stay there and we'll just deal with the pornography, what's going to happen with that void and what you're challenging us is we've got to paint a picture of the vision that God has for Mm -hmm. their life and give them purpose. And, and all of our teenagers, especially once they get into that sophomore, junior, senior year of high school, Mm -hmm. they are searching for their purpose. Oh yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think when you were just speaking, Jared, I just, again, had kind of this um, thought or image of, of, of a mountain and the mountain kind of representing a young person's life. And it's as if, um, so, so often we feel so, um, separated from those who do love us, our our parents, um, maybe people at church, maybe God. And, and we're sort of in this cavernous place, all these sort of catacombs and this maze of our interior inner life. And yet it's completely walled off. Like there's no entrance or exit. And I feel like for we as leaders, if we could understand that, um, that pornography, the revelation of pornography, whether they themselves own it or it's discovered or whatever, uh, or um, it's always better when they themselves uh, reveal it, obviously. Uh, but, uh, but oftentimes sexual brokenness and sin, uh, when it happens, you know, we we sort of come undone as parents and as as leaders, uh, or or we're just we're so concerned and fearful fearful for them for that. And there's reason to be. But if we could also um, 
recognize that, okay, this, this is a concerning thing. You know, it, it, it actually, sexual sin um, does have consequences in, uh, in every part of our being. However, if we could also see that as in a sense, like, you know, there's uh, suddenly there's been an explosion and, and there's access now into the interior life of that child uh, or, or that adult. Uh, there's, there's access now to go with them. Um, and, and of course, you want to do that in a way where they're inviting you into that and you're asking good questions that, that help them to trust and, um, uh, and, and invite you into that place and others too. But so often um, pornography is only looked at, like the revelation of it, it, pornography is always bad, but the revelation of it is often looked at as only being horrible when in fact, it's what is. I mean, it's been going on probably for years and years and now it's finally being discovered. So the bigger question shouldn't be, oh my gosh, we've got to get rid of this pornography. It should be, what are all the underlying reasons and issues for why um, this has become a driver for you, you know, and, and, uh, or, and you wouldn't even ask that directly to them, but it's something that I, as a helper or as a parent, that needs to be my perspective more than, oh, we've just got to stop this, you know? Yes. Take away, you know, if, if, if a device is the big culprit and you're a parent or, um, and, and, and this person is a minor, sure. You need to actually be a parent and put some boundaries around that for sure. If there's other things, if there's particular friends that, that are leading them into, you know, difficult places or, or whatever. Obviously at younger ages, it's easier to parent um, and easier to put up restrictions, but I'm not, I'm not saying we don't restrict. I'm simply saying rather than coming undone and just wanting the behavior to go away, we need to know, we need to actually be asking the questions, what's un, what is underneath of all of that? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think there probably comes a certain point, coaches, um, in these conversations, and this is where you just need to be very open with your student pastor, is that some of some of these uh, addictions to pornography are going to require next level counseling. Yes. And uh, I would just encourage you to be very open with your student pastor. And uh, we're just a church that we're going to, we're going to, put our money where our mouth is in this area and we're going to help students find healing and restoration through Jesus. And some of these situations are going to require next level counseling and coaching. So uh, keep that in mind. Uh, we want to come alongside you as a church. And uh, one of the things I, I, want to, I want to do, I definitely put it in the show notes, but Gary is just uh, for coaches who would love to know more about the Love and Truth Network mm-hmm. and maybe how to get in contact with you. Sure. Um, you're a wealth of wisdom in this area. How would you uh, recommend they do that? Yeah, so they can um, jump on our website, which is www.loveandtruthnetwork.com. And uh, it's all spelled out, you know, A-N-D for the and, and uh, loveandtruthnetwork.com. They can uh, jump on there and email me if they choose to. They can even call me. Uh, my area, my cell phone number is 607-341-1289. Happy to chat with anybody that wants to talk to me. That is legit. I love that. I love that. Um, before we wrap up, Gary, is there any concluding thought uh, or challenge that you would want to give to our to our coaches just in dealing with the topic of pornography? The only thing that occurs to me is just to say, uh, don't give up hope. And um, this is such a pervasive issue. It's such an addictive issue. I've, I've heard people who have dealt with um, drug addictions, cocaine, other forms of drugs, as well as sexual um, addiction, say that it was it was hard, but it was much easier to actually kick the drugs than it was the sexual addiction. Mm. So, it uh, having said that, um, the power and the transforming work of Jesus Christ does not stop at the threshold 
of um, pornography or sexual sin or identity confusion. He is still changing lives. He's still breaking through. And the cool thing is, is that we, you as coaches, get to be a frontline part of that work of rescuing people out of darkness and into light and into their true kingdom purpose. Yep, that's absolutely true. God can do exceedingly abundantly above and beyond anything we can ask or think. Coaches be prayed up in this area. Uh, God will undoubtedly use you as you lean into him um, and love and care for students in this area. So coaches, um, thanks for checking out this bonus episode. Uh, Please jump into the show notes, uh, get in contact with Gary if you have need. Uh, We hope to have him back. He, we probably just scratched the surface on some of the things that we could talk about with Gary and hope to use him in the future uh, because we care about you getting better as a coach. Mm -hmm. We want you to keep growing. Uh, Never stop growing coaches because we know when you get better, better, the whole student ministry gets better. See you next time.